Hey, podcast listener, are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. This episode is for those of you who have money challenges in your business. I know there are a lot of you because I talk to you and I hear the things that you say about your books, about what you don't know about your books, about the messiness of your books, about your money and your mindset and the fear that you have around money, the shame that some of us have around money, the embarrassment around asking, the beliefs that we have around, I'm no good at numbers and I suck at math, and what to do when you have messy books, how to handle and hire a better bookkeeper and how to understand your profit and loss. It's gonna be a good one. I'm all fired up. I had to take some breaths to settle myself down. So now that I'm settled, we'll come back after the intro. Welcome to the She Thinks Big podcast, where you'll hear from women entrepreneurs who are doing good in the world, from spark to screw up to success. Thinking big is in their core. It's in yours and it's in mine. I've traveled to 50 countries and seven continents, done an Ironman, and co-founded a company that has generated millions of dollars for sustainability. My name is Geraldine Carter, and I'm delighted to share with you conversations and coaching with amazing women. Time to get inspired and grow your impact. And we're back. So we're jumping in today with a conversation around money. This is what I hear coming up again and again and again with my clients and in conversation. So I want to shed a bunch of light on it. It's going to be three parts. We're going to talk about mindset. We're going to talk about your bookkeeper. And we're going to talk about your P&L. So let's jump right in. What I hear again and again and what I see with my clients is an incomplete understanding of their financials in their business. And this is a problem because if you don't understand your financials, if you don't know how much money you have, how much you don't have, if your profit and loss is murky to you, if your balance sheet is a complete mystery, it makes it really hard to run your business well, and it makes it even harder to plan effectively. What happens is that women go far too long before really insisting that they understand what these reports are, what they mean, what they tell them, how to understand them, and how to use them. And there are multiple things in play here. So it gets messy quickly because there's the actual understanding of the profit and loss, but there's also deeper stuff like embarrassment that you don't know what's going on with your P&L. Embarrassed that maybe it's messy. Embarrassed that maybe you made a mistake in the hiring of your bookkeeper and should have found somebody more solid, embarrassed that you should know by now, or when you do ask, you don't get easily understandable, intelligible answers from your bookkeeper. 
either that person can't explain it well, or they're not willing to spend the time with you for you to understand it, or they can't explain it in a way that makes sense to you. If any of those things happen, the cycle continues and you get deeper and deeper. And maybe at some point shame enters in. And there are a lot of people out there who have shame around money. And it doesn't need to be. There's nothing to be ashamed of. So we're putting some light on these conversations around money mindset so that if you need to get your books cleaned up, if you need to have a better understanding of your profit and loss in your balance sheet, that you can have those things. Because as a business owner, not only do you have every right to understand your books, but you need to understand your books. There's another money mindset piece that I think doesn't get brought up or talked about, and that's the story around numbers and math, particularly for women of a certain age. And I put certain age in air quotes, and you know what I mean. Because many years ago, women were discouraged from all things STEM, like STEM wasn't a thing 40 years ago when we were in school. So a lot of women and girls were frightened away from doing math. And there are also a lot of women who, because they had, who knows, a bad teacher somewhere along the way, they tell themselves a story that's like, I hate numbers. I suck at math. I'm a creative. I don't do math. What I want you to know is that the numbers in your business are as simple as basic arithmetic, addition, and subtraction, and nothing more. Of course, if you're running, you know, something big like JP Morgan, the accounting gets way more complicated, but that's not what we're talking about here. The women who I'm talking to, you and my audience, have businesses that are between 50,000 and 5 million. Your books are not that complicated. You would think that when they're simple, it would be easy to have them be clean. But what I find time and again, and this is where we're getting into section two, is that bookkeepers make messes. Not all bookkeepers make messes. Some bookkeepers make messes. So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. I have a client who has a business that is about a $100,000 business. And I'm looking at her profit and loss, and I'm going to scrub it of any details that would reveal who this person is or what the business is. And there are a number of figures in here that are incorrect. The amount paid to her subcontractors is off, which means that her cost of goods sold is incorrect. Her total income is correct. That's a good thing. But on page two, there's another mistake having to do with sales that is off by about four grand. This is a huge improvement from when we met about three weeks ago, and there were a number of accounts and categories, which I'll get into in a second, that were really confusing. And I had a lot of questions about what comprised each category, meaning like what kinds of expenses went into each category. And my client didn't know the answer. And that's totally fine, except it's not fine. But it's fine, and I sent her off with homework to get clarification from her bookkeeper about what was where. We also looked at her balance sheet, and one of her online accounts is wrong to the point of we don't know how far it's wrong, but easily thousands of dollars. Her opening balance equity is wrong, and we don't know by how far it's wrong, but it's way, way, way wrong, which also means then that her retained earnings is wrong, and her total liabilities and equity is also wrong. So this is all the stuff on her balance sheet. For those of you who don't use QuickBooks, and you might be in something like FreshBooks or Wave, it might be a step ahead of you for the moment, that's fine. Just hold on. We'll come back around. What I want to highlight for you is that when your books are messy, it means that the reports that get generated become useless. It's not that they can't be corrected because they can. We're doing end-of-year planning, and we don't have a lot to go off of. So before we can do any effective planning, we need for her to get her books cleaned up. So I'm going to come back to this in a little bit. Now, it's not just small business owners who have messy books. I have another client who has a business that's just over 3 million, and her books are also messy. 
So I'm going to walk you through a couple things that I spotted in looking through her profit and loss. She has a category in income that's shipping income. And on a $3 million income profit and loss, you want to know how much is in that category? 52 bucks. So when that happens and you have an account that has a tiny amount of money in it relative to the rest of it, make that a subcategory so that that's not taking up space, not just on your profit and loss report, but also in your mind. That amount of money is too small relative to the rest of the picture. There's a second category that's 128 bucks. Like get rid of those, submerge them in some other category so that the rest of her categories are in the multiple tens of thousands to 100,000, right? So you don't want these tiny little categories hanging out at 50 to 100 bucks. That's just the income part. And that's no big deal, right? Like that doesn't create problems other than it's just kind of like, uh, why? Here's where it gets pretty messy. So this person has multiple categories or names of accounts. And let me just back up for a second and say that this whole thing your chart of accounts is QuickBooks's fancy term for all the categories that your money goes into. I call them categories because I think accounts is too confusing when you also have bank accounts. So I'm going to call them categories, even though a CPA or a bookkeeper would be like, no, no, they're accounts. Well, okay, they are accounts. But today for our purposes, these are categories. So this person's P&L under expenses has multiple duplicated categories. So we've got payroll taxes under payroll expenses. And then on page three, we have, you can hear me turning the page, another category for payroll taxes. We also have utilities. And then we also have right underneath it, telephone, which could arguably be in utilities. And then we've got on the second page, another telephone and office rent utilities. And then back on page two, there's another category that's rent expense. So I'm just scratching my head going, oh my God, streamline this. If I want to know how much I spent on utilities, I need to add up the utilities, plus then separate out the utilities that come in office rent and then add in the telephone category. But then, oops, there's also a telephone category on this other page. Holy cow. <laughs> Too confusing. I mean, it's confusing and it's also messy, right? So there's also postage slash UPS on page two. And on page three, there's another category called postage. One has 400 bucks. The other one has 15 bucks. Put those together. Back to utilities. I also see there's trash hauling and then there's a separate one for landscaping and snow plowing. Put those under utilities. Get those things together. You know, if you have a specific reason for separating out landscaping and snow plowing, you know, if you do, then do it. But I would argue that those things can be combined and more importantly, simplified. Another one I found is on page two is health insurance. And then on page three, there's insurance hyphen health. There's also insurance hyphen life and insurance hyphen workers comp. And I was like, huh, interesting. Because then back on page two, there's workers comp expense. So that's, let's see, count them all up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven categories that could probably be distilled down into three or four. And that makes your life so much simpler, you know, because you can just hear me paging back between page two and three of expenses, trying to figure out what the heck is going on and how much you're spending on things. And not only is it a pain, it's more work, but you're also much more likely to make mistakes. So to the extent that you can simplify your categories, your books, your chart of accounts, whatever you want to call it, so that you reduce the probability of error, it's going to help you and it's just going to make things easier to understand. It also reduces the number of times that you have to ask yourself the question, okay, if I shipped this via UPS, does this go under postage forward slash UPS or does this go under postage? Like, where does that go? <laughs> What if you shipped it via FedEx? Then does it go postage UPS or does it go under postage? You don't want to spend your time asking yourself those questions. So simplify, simplify, simplify your chart of accounts or your categories as we're calling them today. So there's that. The other point that I wanted to make that I made at the beginning is that 
you know, messy books are not the exclusive purview of small business owners. Like I said at the beginning, the second example is a $3 million business. Okay, so let's stay on this chart of accounts topic. If you look at your chart of accounts, which is your list of categories that your transactions go into, if there's anything that you don't understand, I want you to ask your bookkeeper about it. And you ask and you ask and you ask until you get an answer that you understand. What I don't want to see happen is you ask a question, you still don't understand the answer, and you leave the meeting without clarity. I cannot underscore the importance of you asking questions until you have a complete and full understanding of what's happening with your books. Your ability to run your business well and successfully is predicated on your ability to understand your books. The more that you don't understand what's going on, the more haphazard your approach is going to be. Anytime you want to do any financial planning for the future, the less clear or the more messy your books are, the harder that planning is going to be to do. So I want you to make sure that you understand. I also want you to ask your bookkeeper to make the customizations that you need for your categories that make sense in your business. I've heard some bookkeepers really push back on making the chart of accounts work for you. And I'm not a fan of that. I think your bookkeeper should be willing to make your chart of accounts, your list of categories, make sense to you. Because if you're wondering what's in this category called research and development, and that means nothing to you, but calling it something else that would make sense to you, then have them make that adjustment. Because if they're putting things into categories that don't make intuitive sense to you, have them make that adjustment. It's your business, your books need to make sense to you. We're not here to satisfy the bookkeeper, We're here to make sure that your business and your books are something that makes sense to you and you understand. Some of you may be wondering, when should I get a bookkeeper? Because right now you're doing your own books in something like zero fresh books or wave. My simplest answer to that is if you don't do your books at all and they're 11 months past due, then it's time to get a bookkeeper. You've got to know how much money you're making in your business. Saving up all your receipts until the end of the year and sending them off to your bookkeeper at that point to catch up works, but it's not a great plan for success. So if you're not on top of your books every month, and maybe like you let two months go by here and there on occasion, but that's the exception more than the rule. If you're not on top of your books every month, then I'd recommend getting a bookkeeper so that you know where your income is, where it's coming from, and you know what your expenses are and where your money's going. The other rule of thumb that I use is if your books take less than three hours a month for you to do in zero fresh books, wave or QuickBooks online, and you enjoy, you're fine doing it and you get it done regularly, monthly, then I think that's fine to hold on to. When it starts to take you more than, let's say, four hours a month, then it's time to delegate this out. If you're between three and four hours, I think you're on the cusp and it's fine to hold on to it for now, but once you get past four hours a week, I think it's time to delegate it out to a bookkeeper. How much should your bookkeeper cost? When a client tells me that they have a bookkeeper that they spend less than 40 bucks an hour on, my yellow flags go up. That says to me that either the bookkeeper isn't well-trained enough to be charging the going rate, or she undervalues her own worth, and maybe both. The most likely situation is that she's not well-trained enough to be charging the going rate which means she's not well-trained enough, which means messy books. You might think to yourself, well, I can't afford a bookkeeper that's 60 to 75 bucks an hour. I'm in Missoula, Montana, and that's the going rate for a decent bookkeeper is actually more like 50 to 75 bucks an hour. Here's the thing. If your books are messy 
and you go on with messy books for, let's say, a year, and you get to the end of the year, and you're like, oh my God, this is a disaster. And maybe your CPA is like, yeah, I cannot work with these. We need to clean these up. It's going to cost you one to $2,000 to have them cleaned up. 10 hours of a CPA at $150 an hour, that's $1,500. So I ran the numbers on how much it's going to cost you to get a bad bookkeeper and have to pay an accountant or a CPA to clean them up versus how much it costs to get a good bookkeeper who can do it right the first time. So a bad bookkeeper at 20 bucks an hour, let's assume 50 hours a year, that's an hour a week or four hours a month. This is total napkin math for simplicity. A bad bookkeeper at 20 bucks an hour, 50 hours a year is $1,000. You then add at a minimum, I think conservative estimate is $1,000 to clean them up and you're spending $2,000. If you get a decent bookkeeper for 50 bucks an hour, and that's on the lower end, but just for easy math, 50 bucks an hour times 50 hours a year. Again, that's four hours a month, more or less. That's $2,500 a year. So you can have messy books that you can't use all year, plus the stress of having messy books all year and not being able to plan, plus the stress of having to clean them up for two grand. Or you can have usable books that you know are solid, you're confident in the numbers, and you can use them to plan for $2,500. So difference of $500. Which would you choose? I can tell you from experience, having had the experience of underpaying a bookkeeper who made a mess, who screwed up payroll, that all then needed to get fixed by a CPA, I highly recommend going the qualified bookkeeper for more money route. If you want help looking for a new bookkeeper and interviewing a new bookkeeper and you don't know what to ask, I'm putting a free downloadable PDF in the show notes for this episode that you can get on the website. It'll be shethinksbigpodcast.com forward slash 010. And it'll have eight to 10 questions that you can ask a bookkeeper in an interview. In order to find that bookkeeper, I want you to go to colleagues who have successful businesses, ask them if they know of anybody who they know, and if they don't, ask them who their CPA is, find a CPA who you trust and respect and ask them who they recommend and get three to five names. Make a first pass of quick phone calls so that you can filter either by like first impression, you know, energy, personality, vibe, because it needs to be somebody who at a minimum you like being around, right? Like if you just get a bad vibe from somebody, you don't want to be around them, then you don't want to have them as your bookkeeper. No harm, no foul. And you do a first pass filter for price, right? So if 75 bucks an hour is just too much for you and you need something more in the 50 to 60 range, then you know that initial pass of first phone calls can filter out a few. I suggest meeting at least two, if not three or four bookkeepers, because it will give you a feel for the differences between them. And you'll be able to tell what you like and what you don't like by comparing. And you'll be able to get a feel for who's really solid and who is less solid. You're going to ask questions like, how long have you been a bookkeeper? Who else do you keep books for? What kinds of companies do you keep books for? So if you have a product business and this person doesn't know anything about products, that might not be a fit. A better example is if you have a health-related business and you have insurance that you need to deal with and this bookkeeper has never dealt with insurance billing, that's going to be a yellow flag. It doesn't mean the person's not a good bookkeeper. It just at a minimum means that they're not going to be well-versed in handling the intricacies and the details of health insurance billing. If you have, let's say, for example, my husband's business is a contracting business. He has a bookkeeper that has a bunch of other contractors because she knows how their businesses run. 
So you want to ask that bookkeeper, does she have other businesses that look similar to yours? And then you want to get referrals and you want to call those referrals and you want to talk to those business owners. This is as far as people are willing to go in terms of the amount of work they're willing to put in to qualify their bookkeeper. Most people don't vet the bookkeeper they're about to hire. And I can't highlight enough the importance of getting referrals, calling those referrals and talking to those referrals and reading between the lines. If they say things that are kind of light and fluffy and leave you feeling like, "Uh, I just don't think that that's a good fit, pay attention to your gut. A lot of the interviewing that you're going to do of bookkeepers is going to be read between the lines kind of stuff. So you can ask all the questions of like, who do you work with? How long have you been a bookkeeper? What reports do you send me and how often? When will I see you? Do you keep a copy of my books on your computer? You know, you're going to ask all those different questions. And what you're looking for is how they handle your answers. How confident are they in what they're talking about? How authoritative do they sound? Do they sound like they know what they're talking about? You might not know the difference between keeping a QuickBooks file on a thumb drive versus on their computer versus on your computer, but they're going to know the difference. And that's what's important. And they should give you good reasons why they choose what they choose. Pay attention to your intuition. The tendency here is to feel overwhelmed, deer in the headlights, tell yourself a story that you don't know what you're talking about, you don't know what you're doing, but you do know what you're doing. Ask the difficult questions, let go of whether or not that person might feel uncomfortable or not. This is a job interview about the health of your business. So take the time that you need to find somebody who's going to support that effort rather than derail it. All right, the last piece I want to cover here is profit and loss. I'm not going to go into balance sheet in this episode. All right, how many of you are super comfortable with your profit and loss? Okay, I'm going to walk through a bunch of different profit and loss reports that your bookkeeper or you can generate from QuickBooks. And I'm going to walk through it pretty slowly because it would be easy to get confused and lost in it, which I don't want. So there's one profit and loss report that is simply called your P&L. And I call that the plain P&L. This is the one that doesn't have any individual transactions. It simply shows the high level sums of the income in each of your categories. It shows your total income. It shows the high level cost of goods sold, which then leads you to your gross profit. And then it shows your expenses by category without any individual transaction information. This report is usually year to date. The date of the report is always listed at the top. The one I'm looking at says January 1 to November 8. Your profit and loss always spans a certain time frame, whereas your balance sheet is a pinpoint in time on a certain date. So your profit and loss, which spans a certain time frame, you can tell QuickBooks to spit out a report based on a certain time frame. So you can have year to date. So in this case, January 1 to November 8, what I think makes more sense is to the close of the previous month. So in this case, it would be January 1 to October 31st. That way you have through the close of the month and it's a whole and complete month rather than a partial month. You can also do a profit and loss by the span of a month so that you can look at, for example, the most recent month. In this case, that would be October 1st to October 31st. That report would be helpful for you to know how you did just for the month. You could then compare that to the previous month. You can do a profit and loss that compares September of 2018 to October of 2018. That report would be useful to know how you did this month compared to last month. 
You could also do a profit and loss that compares October of 2018 to October of 2017. That's useful in particular if your business is more seasonal. That way you're comparing apples to apples. Whereas if your business is fairly consistent throughout the year, then this month to last month might be useful. But say if your December is always dead, there's no use comparing your December to November or October or September. So you need to ask yourself, is my business seasonal? If it is, then don't compare this month to last month. If it's seasonal, compare this most recent month to the same month the year prior. You can also do, for comparison reports, year-to-date this year compared to year-to-date last year. So, for example, it would be January 1st to October 31st of 2017 compared to January 1st to October 31st of 2018. That way you can get a feel for how you're doing at this point in time this year compared to the same point in time last year. The question you need to ask yourself is, what span of time do I want to look at and why would that be useful to me? So know that you can pull those different kinds of reports that lapse different periods of time from your profit and loss. The next thing that you can do with your profit and loss in terms of reports is to pull the detail. And by detail, I mean each and every transaction. So when would you want to pull a detail level transaction and when would you not? I like to pull detail level profit and loss reports for two things. The first one is the most recent month so that I can look and make sure that everything is in the right account, in the right category, and that generally things make sense, right? Like if I see a charge for gas over in the category for website, I'm going to be like, hmm, that's in the wrong place. Let's move that. You'd only find that if you pulled the detail level report. Similarly, I do like to periodically check a full detail report for the year because, for example, sometimes things get squirrely like books I buy on Amazon. It's a book, but because the charge comes in from Amazon, sometimes it gets coded over to subscriptions because I have Amazon Web Services. So anything Amazon, QuickBooks automatically codes as subscriptions for the monthly web service charge. So if I look at the detail level transaction and I see every month, let's say 15 bucks for Amazon web services, and we're in the 11th month of the year, I can count up the charges and be like, okay, great. There are 10 Amazon web service charges. Anything else that's not exactly 15 bucks goes over to books. Similarly, if I count up the Amazon web service charges under subscriptions, and I only see six, and it's November, I'm like, hmm, where are the other ones? And I go looking for them. Same thing with rent. And because I pay rent with a check, and it's not automated on my credit card, I want to make sure that it gets recorded. And because it's a check, and sometimes I write it on the 30th, and sometimes I miss, and I write it on the 2nd, it might not get captured in the individual month report. But if I can count up 10 rent payments, and it's November, I'm like, sweet, we're good. If I see eight, I wonder where the other two are. And if I see 11, I'm like, ooh, I paid rent twice this month. Whoops. How about I correct that? So that's why the detail level report is useful, is to double check that things are in the right categories and that there are the correct number, particularly of monthly recurring things, in those categories. So you can imagine that being able to pull category level or detail level reports over different lengths of time and do I compare to another time period or not, that you can create just in what I've mentioned so far, like 12 different profit and loss reports. And that's not useful to you. 
I don't want you creating 12 different profit and loss reports every month. You're going to make yourself nuts. So why am I telling you all this? I'm telling you all this because I want you to know that these reports are available to you, why you'd want to look at one report versus another, and to be able to think, okay, I'm looking for this statistic in my business, this amount of income or this amount of expense over this time period, what report do I need to pull in order to get that? Which brings me to which reports should you pull every month? I think two or three reports are good. Always the plain profit and loss, the P&L detail just for the prior month, and if you feel like it, the P&L detail year to date. Maybe, and then I would say quarterly, you can pull compared to last year to see how you're doing. In addition to pulling those three or four profit and loss reports, looking at your balance sheet is also a necessity. Even if you don't understand it yet, I still want you to look at it. And that leads me to getting reports quarterly or monthly. And there are some bookkeepers who will send you reports quarterly. I'm a big advocate of doing it monthly for two reasons. One of them is that say you accidentally signed up for a subscription service that has a recurring charge. You know the kind where you hit a checkbox that says you're going to try it for free for a month. And if you don't cancel by the 16th, you give permission to have your credit card charge 49 bucks a month ongoing. Say you do this and you have quarterly bookkeeping and you do it at the start of the quarter and you don't know about it until the end of the quarter and then your bookkeeper does your books. Now, bam, you've paid four months, 49 bucks. That's 200 bucks that you could have spent on a nice meal out with your hubs. If you do it monthly, you're going to catch those kinds of things a lot sooner. The other reason, and I think the more important reason, is that looking at your reports monthly gives you a feel for your numbers. You're not going to memorize your income and expenses, but the more you look at them regularly, the more you're going to have a simple feel for what your services bring in, and you're going to have a simple feel for what your main expenses are. So that when you're in a casual conversation with other women entrepreneurs about money, you have a feel for what your own numbers are. Not exactly memorized, that's not what I'm talking about, but looking at them every month gets you intimately familiar with the financial aspect of your business. I have yet to meet a CPA or read a book by any financial expert that suggests not paying attention to your numbers. I know that for a lot of you, this is going to feel uncomfortable. My own experience was that it takes time to become familiar with these reports, to grow even to like them and to want to see them. Now, I'm not a trained bookkeeper. So if there's anything that I said in here that a bookkeeper hears or that anybody else hears that's incorrect, I want you to let me know. I don't want misinformation to propagate. I am a self-taught, self-study person who didn't know a thing about a profit and loss in 2008 and six years later was responsible for more than a million dollars. Bank accounts with my name on them. I want you to know that you can handle this level of finances. There's nothing in it that's rocket science or that's beyond your ability to understand. I've said a couple of times, but I'll say it again, that in order to run your business well and to take it where you want to go, you need to have clean books. They don't need to be squeaky clean. And I would say, you know, watch out for the diminishing returns of perfectionism creeping into your books because that's not what I suggest, right? They don't need to be obsessively clean. Like if you have one accidental charge hanging out in the wrong category, it's not a big deal. But that's different than having really messy books whose numbers you can't use. And you need these numbers in order to be able to think about growing your business. You need them to be able to think about hiring, to help you think about cash flow, to help you think about and plan for purchases. Having solid numbers that you can trust is a must. And I know that when I do strategy sessions with my clients, it's a big hindrance 
if they come into our meeting with numbers that we can't really rely on. If you hear yourself in any of these examples that I've talked about today and you're really stuck, you're caught in the mud of gross money mindset stuff, maybe you're embarrassed, maybe you feel ashamed of where you are, of how you've gotten there. Number one, I want you to know that if you could see the women around you raise their hand because either they are also currently there or they've been there, you would see a sea of hands going up. You are not alone. It is incredibly common to have messy books at some point in your business. And you can also clean them up and it's not as hard or as painful as you think. Okay, maybe it's a little painful, but it is entirely doable. And I want you to know that if you're really stuck and you want help with it, reach out to me. You can reach out in our Facebook group. It's She Thinks Big on Facebook and get the help that you need so that you can get this cleaned up and get it out of your way because I and the other women around you want to see you succeed. That's it for this time. I want to know what's been most helpful to you. So please go share in the She Thinks Big Facebook group or if when listening to this episode, you thought of somebody who needs to hear this stuff, please share this episode with that person. Remember that you can get the free download PDF with the interview questions for finding a new bookkeeper on my website at shethinksbigpodcast.com forward slash 009. If you want to know more about working with me in strategy sessions and longer term engagements, you can also find that information on my website just click on work with me when you get there. And you might think I'm crazy, but I love talking about profit and losses. So thanks for giving me the opportunity to share all this with you. Stay tuned for a few more episodes and conversations about money. That's it for now, ladies. I'll see you next week. If you want to find out more about the She Thinks Big podcast or hear previous episodes, head on over to my website, shethinksbigpodcast.com. And of course, I want to know what you're thinking big about. I hope you'll share in the She Thinks Big Facebook group. I love hearing from listeners because here in my studio, all I hear is crickets and my meowing cats. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. You can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please do leave me a raving five-star review. You can write to me at Geraldine at SheThinksBigPodcast.com. And if you want to send a tweet, I'm at Geraldine Carter. You've been listening to She Thinks Big. See you next week. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.